ask you because I don't know about you, but in the beginning of the year, I like to evaluate things. I like to evaluate my life. I want to know, God, am I still in the place that you want me to be? Should I still be here at Bethlehem Assembly of God, or, or is it time to move on? And, or is it, is it, what are you saying to me in 2018? Because I know what he says in 2016 is gone. Forgetting those things behind, I press on. So I know God is ready to speak in 2018. And so at the beginning of the month, we, we like to fast and pray. And, 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 and so the question I want to ask you this morning is this, have you heard anything? Or have you learned anything in the first month of this year? Heard anything or learned anything? Because I believe God wants to get a hold of our hearts and do something again in our hearts that he may not have done before. But, but if you're not able to hear him, you won't be able to do anything. And so we come in this morning, and, and, and I'm thinking as I was preparing for this message, Lord, what have you been saying to me, and, and what is it that you want me to share this morning with the congregation? And, and, and the Lord started pouring all kinds of things in it, into my heart, and I wrote it down as quickly as I can, and then I'm coming to share with you. I want to know this morning if, if anything I'm, I've been hearing relates to you. And if there's any nuggets in this sermon this morning that, that you can be able to say, mm, I think God is doing that same thing in me. But we're in the series called God Is. God Is. This morning we're going to be talking about God is there. In every circumstance, in every trial you and I go through, God is always there. The problem is, we can't always see him. In every trial that God brings into our lives, he does it for a reason and a purpose. But this morning, and as I was going through this month, I have noticed that in certain things that I've gone through, God is there. So three questions that popped into my heart as I was preparing is, if God is there, can I see him? God is speaking to my heart and saying, Henry, in the midst of all your trials you're going through, can you see me in the trials? If God is there, number two, uh, uh, can I trust him? And the third thing we're going to look at this morning, if God is there, is can I depend on him? Because there's no use God being there and he can't be depended on. One of the characters of the Old Testament that I love the most is Abraham. My favorite is probably David. I've learned more about David and character building and everything else. And personally for my life, David has been my mentor. But there was another uh, uh, character that I like as well as Abraham. And I noticed that there were certain things that Abraham did. Hey, hey, lift your head up. Look at me in one minute. There are some things that God will do. But there are some things God will not do. And if you are lazy. If you are a small brat of a Christian. You and I will miss God, not because God doesn't want to show up. It's because we haven't done our part yet. And so as we talk about the circumstances of life and we talk about Abraham, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Genesis, chapter 12. God is. So we're talking about God is there. There are certain things and there's certain stories about Abraham. And we're only going to use one character today because I don't, I don't, do, I don't want to do multiple characters so that you can harm in into Abraham because there are certain things Abraham did that answers these questions that we're asking ourselves this morning. If God is there, can I see him? Because if you can't see God in the midst of your storms, you will give up. You'll walk away from Christianity. You'll say, this thing doesn't work at all. God comes to Abraham in, 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 in Genesis chapter 12. And he says in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. If you had a one minute, look at me. Sometimes... Before God can be able to do something or you and I can be able to see clearly what God wants you to do, he's going to tell you to leave your country. Some of us have done that. And then he's going to say, 
get out of your family house. Why? Because some of the people that will stop the progress of God in your, house, in your life are in your family. Mama gets a hold of you. Oh, my baby, I don't want you to suffer. I want you to go through a trial. You come stay with mama. Mama will make sure you got to eat. Mama will make sure you got everything. Mama will make sure you got everything. I will wipe your nose at 32 years old. And sometimes you have to be able to get out of your family. Because when God starts to do a work within your family, the, the same family will say, you, God can't use you. We know you. Too familiar. And then sometimes he says, that, not, not only that, get out of your house. That sense of security, that sense of protection, just like the eagle. When the eagle gets ready to get the young eagle to fly, the mother kicks him out of the nest. And the eagle's all like this or that. And just before the eagle hits the ground screaming, the mother swoops down, picks the eagle up, take it back to the nest. Week later, mm, get out. Screaming just before they hit the bottom, scoops down, picks her up. Three months later, kicks him out. And all of a sudden, the wing starts to take float. And all of a sudden, the eagle starts flying. But listen to me carefully if the mother eagle didn't kick him out, he would never grow up to be an eagle. And that baby eagle would eventually die because he couldn't feed itself. God tell Abraham, get out of your country, get out of your father's household, and get out of your house. Leave everything behind. But notice what Abraham does. Look at verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Lift your head on a minute. God did not tell Abraham to take Lot. But I love this thing because it's very human of us. Sometimes we give up, okay, God, I'll give up that, yeah, I'll give up that. Yeah, but can I take one thing with me? Just for comfort? Just for old time's sake? And God did not tell him to take Lot. Because whether you understand it or not, God knows exactly what he's doing. Abraham leaves and, and, and in that journey he goes to Egypt, comes back and everything. And, and, and two chapters over, we get to a place where because of the faithfulness of God, Abraham gets rich. Abraham becomes rich. Prospers in everything. Nothing will show people's attitude when you start to get rich. Jealousy starts, especially in families. I've seen it. Go to the funeral. Mama didn't have a will. <laughs> oh, boy. I want her diamonds. I want this. I want that. I want that. That's what they have a will for. But nothing, comes the, nothing brings out the flesh like jealousy. Abraham gets rich, Lot gets rich, and all of a sudden, and guess why, why did Lot get rich? Because of Abraham. Because of Abraham. And all of a sudden, Lot thinks that he and Abraham are on the same level. And their, and their servants start to fight. God is there and the man of God knows something and you and I need to learn this as well the Bible says the servant of the Lord should not quarrel or get into foolish conversations or arguments Abraham sees what's going on and he knows that if this continues he will not be able to see right now he can't even see what God is doing you in Genesis chapter 12 go to Genesis chapter 13 and look at verse 9. 
So they started fighting, and, and finally Abraham turns around in verse 9 of, of chapter 13, and he says, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. Lift up your head. Some of us will not be able to see God until we separate from some people. I was writing down as the Lord was speaking to my heart. I wrote, I wrote this down uh, uh, in my notes. And I said, can, can I see God? Yes. But only after you have separated and removed the things and people that are in your life that are blocking your vision. That are blocking your vision. There are things and people in your life that are blocking you from being able to see God. And then I wrote down, after that, I wrote down this. Who are the lots in your life that you need to separate from and rip them out of your life? Because until you remove them from your life, you will not be able to see clearly what God is trying to say to you. You will not be able to go to another level that other people are jealous about and you're so afraid that you still are holding on to Lot. And that Lot is stopping you from getting to where God wants you to get. Who are the Lots? Can you identify the Lots? Do you recognize the Lots that are blocking your vision? Can I see God in the midst of it? Oh, and let me qualify that. Your lot cannot be your wife. Yeah, I know some of you sneaky people. Come to my office later on and say, Pastor, I found my lot. She lays down with me every night. Pastor, I found my lot. He's an usher in the church. No, 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 let's qualify this. You marry them, you stuck with them. To a death do us part. Pastor, I can arrange that as well. <laughs> but outside of that, who are the lots in your life? Who are the lots? It's so important that you can identify them. Because look at verse, look at verse 14. And, and, and if you notice in verse 14, what I learned out of this is this. As soon as Lot left, As soon as Lot left, look at verse 14. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look. Lift your head up. Did you get that? He had been looking before but could not see. God says, now that Lot has gone, now lift your eyes up and look. Now look what, now you can be able to see what I want to see. And now that you can be able to do what I want you to do, because there's nothing blocking your vision. And it takes courage for a man or woman of God who is a Christian to be able to say, you are my friend, but you are sucking the life out of me. And I have to leave you behind. It takes courage. It takes courage, but what do you want? What do you want? Do you want God's best or do you want your friend's best? Some of them, when you let them grow, they will grow up and mature or they will die. Can I see God? Yes, you can. As soon as you let Lot go. Number two, God is there, but can I trust him? I know God is there, but can, can I really trust God? Another story that comes out with Abraham is Genesis chapter 15. Just flip over two more chapters and go to Genesis chapter 15. That last song I, we sang, I love that song. Because that song can pull you out of depression, pull you out of anxiety, pull you out of that place of misery, pull you out of that darkness, when you can start to sing a song like that by faith. 
And every time you sing that song, something on the inside of you bears witness that what you are saying with your mouth is true. Genesis chapter 15, and, and, and God is there. Can I trust him? Abraham is in a situation that he, he has, he, he, God's, let's read it, verse 1. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid. Abraham, I am your shield and exceedingly great reward. Great reward. Abraham turns around to God and says, God, if you are that, then how come I don't have a child? How come I don't have an heir? How come I don't have anyone to pass on my legacy to? There is no one in my household except for the son of Eliezer who will be my heir. And God turns around to Abraham and says, no, Abraham. Eliezer will not be your heir. He said, Abraham, you are going to have a child. Abraham looks at him and thinks, you got to be crazy. I'm 100 years old. Dead like a doorknob. My wife, 99, nothing happening there. And you, God, come and tell me that you can create nothing or something out of deadness. Oh, <laughs> you can create. Are you trying to say, God, that when something is dead like a doorknob, you are able to breathe life in it? You want me to trust you? That's impossible. God said to Abraham, bring me a heifer. Bring me a goat. Bring me some turtle, turtle doves. Bring me this. And God, Abraham knew exactly what God was about to do. God was about to cut a covenant with Abraham. And if you know anything about covenants, a blood covenant cannot be broken ever unless someone dies. God makes a covenant with Abraham and basically God was saying to Abraham, listen to me, even though you don't trust me, I'm going to make a covenant and you know, Abraham, what a covenant means. By the way, marriage it's supposed to be a covenant that someone has to die. All right, we'll leave it alone. That, that's a, you, in two weeks' time, two weeks' time, because it got real quiet in here just now. In two weeks' time, we have the marriage seminar. Every married couple, we encourage you to sign up because this is not the time, and I see some of you turning white. Sign up. Come join us. Come encourage, be encouraged. Come be encouraged to do the impossible. Because what I'm learning from Abraham's story is this, that God is even able to turn what is dead alive. Come join us in the marriage. So God made this, God made this covenant with Abraham. And even though Abraham says, I trust God, as soon as the covenant was over and God left, Abraham turned around with Isaac, uh, uh, Sarah and they, and they bring Ishmael into the situation. And one of the things I wrote down on my, in my notes where, when I, as I was write, writing this and I, and I see the story of Haggai and Ishmael and all the other things, I wrote on my notes, even though Abraham was unfaithful to God, God never forgot the covenant he made with Abraham. That's the same thing God does with us. Even though we are unfaithful at times, God never forgets. Even when we are unfaithful. So all after that dramatic thing with Ishmael and Hagar, God comes back again. A couple of years later. God comes back and, and, and he hasn't forgotten about the covenant. And if you turn to Genesis chapter 18... Genesis chapter 18. The incarnate Christ and two angels are on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah because the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are so bad that they're going to destroy the city. But on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah, they stop by Abraham's house. 
And he feeds them, and, 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 in, and in chapter 18, God comes back to remind Abraham of the covenant he had made with him three, uh, two, two chapters over. And in that covenant, Abraham's name was changed from Abraham to Abraham, Sarah to Sarah. That's why, ladies, that when you get married, you're supposed to change your last name. Because you are in a covenant, and the covenant says you are no longer your own, you are not bonded together with your husband. That's why your, change, your name changes. You rebellious woman. <laughs> Pastor, I don't like his name. Pastor, I didn't like this. Pastor, I didn't like, Then don't marry him. But, but, but that's not what we're talking about today. Sorry, 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 sorry. I got carried away. I got carried away. Yeah. Let's come back. Covenants. God made a blood covenant. He never forgot. So Abraham comes back, and, and in chapter 18, uh, uh, verse 9, God says this, And they say to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Verse 12, therefore Sarah laughed within, within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, uh, shall I have pleasure, uh, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is there anything too hard for God what you think is impossible you say pastor this is dead it can never live again God is saying to, it can be resurrected if you do it God's way I told my wife I gotta be careful she's here We were joking around sometimes. I sometimes joke around with my wife, and, and, I, and I say to Comfort, uh, uh, if you, like Sarah, would call me Lord. <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> Who knows, woman, what blessings will come into your life? You know, you know, let me just say that. I got to get this off my chest. But when my wife and I first came to America, she was a good African woman. I was the king of the house. And then she met people like Angela and Ethel and, 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 and all these people. And, and they started talking about, you have rights. I said, get me behind me, woman. Don't you remember Sarah? And I lost my sweet African woman. <laughs> Honey, I didn't really mean that. I just read it. <laughs> I apologize in front of all of you. I have some grace. But the Bible says Sarah's womb was dead. Here's the thing. When you and I are able to trust in God, is this. Can we see that God is able to take what is dead and bring it to life? Can we see that see, what God was saying to Abraham is this. No matter how difficult the circumstances are, there is nothing that God cannot do. You and I have just got to be able to get to that place where we can be able to wrap our minds around it and say, look, when, even when it looks impossible, you and God can win any battle, go through any trial, go through any valley, as long as, long as God is with you. Was God there? Yes. But can I trust him? Can I trust him? And, and these are the things that I grapple, grapple with in my own mind. And I say, God, I know you're there. I know you're doing this. But can I trust you? 
The answer is yes. And then we got down to the third thing, and I was writing in my notes, and, 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 and the third thing is that if God is there in the midst of everything I'm going through, can I depend on him? If God is there, and listen to me carefully, everything you and I go through as a Christian is not by accident. The moment you accept Christ as Lord and Savior and you become his child, everything that comes in your life has been allowed by God to do some kind of work in you that it wouldn't happen if God didn't allow certain things into your life. Every trial, every battle, every test, there's a reason God allowed it to go through. So I want you to repeat after me. Father, thank you for my test. I love it. I embrace it. I appreciate it. Because you are making me the Christian that you need me to be. Pastor, are you out of your mind? Embrace my test? Yes. Yes. Because James says every test comes to test your faith. You can't say you have tough, strong faith unless you've gone through something with that faith. And God so loves us that he won't let us fool ourselves. So he will allow us to go through some things. And you say, well, pastor, it, why? So that the testing of your faith produces the characters of God. Every test. Now listen to me carefully. There's one specific test that every Christian will go through before they leave this earth. And some of those, and sometimes you will have multiple of these kinds of tests. And how you embrace your test will, will tell you what kind of attitude you have and whether you will survive your test. And if you know that every test that God allows to come in your life is orchestrated by God, that same God will go with you through the test. If you can see him. So when you think about the tests you're going through, the question you need to ask ourselves is this. Can I see God? Can I see what he is doing? Or do I just murmur and complain and whine? There's an example in the Bible, and we're going to go into it there right now. It's Genesis chapter 22. And we all know the story. Go to Genesis chapter 22. We all know the story. It's Abraham and God calling him to sacrifice his son. And we read the story. And say, oh, how poetic, how, how this, and how lovely. And, and oh, Abraham, such faith and, and everything. But you and I don't understand that Abraham had a part to play, and God had a part to play. And that is going to be the same for all of us. And if you don't do your part, God can't do his. Genesis chapter 22, and, 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 and as I was going, I was writing these notes as well. And, and, and just, because here, here's the thing. When you read a story, look at the mechanics of that story. Look how the people of God, see, the men and women of God are not perfect. They're not perfect. Abraham shouldn't have slept with uh, uh, um, Hagar. David shouldn't have slept with Bathsheba. David shouldn't have killed Uriah the Hittite. There's so many things in the Bible that people showed their real selves. So these are not fake people. They are people just like you and I who mess up every now and then, who fall short every now and then. But in the midst of their story, they, 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 they did some things that positioned them, that positioned them so that God could move. And if you and I are not positioned properly, that's when we keep asking ourselves, oh, where's God, where's God, where's God? Where God is there, but you're not on the same wavelength. 
you're tuned into something else. And so I started going through the story of Abraham, and, and, I, and I, as I looked at it, there, there were about six things that jumped out to me, and I, and I highlighted them. Because all of us go through it. The first thing you and I will go through uh, uh, in, the, in somewhere in our lives is this, a test. Some of us, you are still in the test since 2017. Some of us are laughing, Pastor, I'm not in no test. Wait, just wait. It was a test. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Pastor, did I hear right you say that God tested Abraham? Yes. Already concluded that this test was to come to show him where his faith level is. Because Abraham just didn't get to this place to go wanting to sacrifice his son until he has first gone through the period of hearing God, trusting God, believing in God. So by the time Abraham gets to this stage and God says to him, go worship and sacrifice your son, Something has already de developed in the inside of, of uh, Abraham that Abraham has concluded, uh, no matter what God asks me, I can trust him. And the mechanics of that is this. Until you have walked this walk long enough and seen God take you through some of these wilderness and valleys, you will never get to a place where when God asks you for the big things, you'll be able to say yes. That's why we say to people all the time, when, uh, before cancer comes, learn how to believe God for a cold. Learn how to put your hand on your head and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, heal me of this cold. Heal me of this back pain. Heal me of this and heal me of that. Because if you wait till cancer come and try to act like you got faith, you will die. Do you understand me? Because we have to progressively build our faith and trust in God. And every one of us are at a different level. But every one of us can get to the place God wants us to be because God is not a respecter of persons. It depends how hungry you are. God comes in verse 1 and he, get, and he says to Abraham, I'm bringing a test. Abraham doesn't freak out. Verse 2. Then God asked him. I, I, in my notes, I put the big ask. A-S-K. In the first seven, I said that, and people looked at me and started, and I said, no. Not the other one. A-S-K. The big ask. God comes, and uh, some of you just getting it, I know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Come back. So, the big ask, God comes and he asks something of you and me that is bigger than you and me. God steps into your life and presents something to you and puts you on the table and says to you, that thing you love the most in life, I want you to lay it down for the plan of God. Remember, Abraham has been believing God. He, he and his wife, are, she, he's 199, and they've been believing God for the promises. God stepped him out of his tent and, and said to Abraham, your descendants will be like the numbers of the stars in the sky. Abraham believed God for all these things, and all of a sudden the promise came, and he's excited, he's rich, he's wealthy, and he has a son that he can pass on, and everything is going well. And all of a sudden, and in and, 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 and the translation, it says, and it came to pass. As I said to you, it just didn't happen. God orchestrated it. All of a sudden, God shows on the, up on the table, and he says in verse 2, then he said, take now your son. Your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I should tell you. All your hopes, all your aspirations, everything you have may be wrapped up in a job that is paying you well. And then they have budget cuts and you get the pink slip. Abraham is, the response of Abraham tells you and me what kind of faith he is. Because in verse 3, I call it the swift response. God said it, next morning he woke up. Look at me. God said it, next minute he woke up. God said it, he immediately obeyed him. Where does that come from? From years of obeying God and hearing God and trusting God and seeing God that when God asked him to do something, he didn't wiggle, he didn't flinch, he didn't say no, he didn't say let me pray again. He said this is not of God. He woke up, the Bible says in verse 3, and Abraham rose early in the morning. Early in the morning. What gets a man to operate like this? A total dependence on God. Verse 3, early in the morning, a swift response. Verse 4, then on the third day, you know what I call that? This is the agonizing period. The agonizing period. Every time you and I go through a a trial, we will stand and pray and believe God, but there is a period of time between the time you pray And the time the answer comes, that period is agonizing. Let's say you're believing God for your your little baby in in, in the hospital. It's agonizing. We have a lady here whose baby's been in the hospital for months, and it's agonizing. God, heal my baby. God, heal my baby. Touch my baby. And from the time she prays until the time the answer comes, it is an agonizing period. But in that period of time, you and I have to remain in faith. It took Abraham three days to get to Mount Moriah. Can you imagine the pressure and the enemy whispering in his ears, are you sure you heard God? Are you sure that's the right decision? Are you sure that, because if you kill the boy, you have no more inheritance. You have no more this. This is your life, Abraham. Are you willing to give it all up? Because you thought you heard God say something. Three days of pressure from the enemy. Verse 5. And Abraham said to the young man, When they got to the mountain, Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And then he he spoke faith. And we will come back. God never said to Abraham his son was coming back. You know why I call this? I call this this period the breakthrough. It's the breakthrough. That's when you stop wrestling with God and you stop arguing with God and stop being disobedient and finally you just put it down and say, God, I depend on you for this. But if you call me to do it, I will do it. Abraham says, God, if you call me, because in his heart, in Hebrews, Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews says, Abraham had concluded in his heart that his son was as good as dead. And if his son was to die, God would have to do something that he's never done before up to this time. God would have to resurrect him. What am I saying to you? There are things in your life that God, only God can do. And you and I need to be brave enough that when it doesn't make human sense, You and I can step out and say, you know what? I can't understand it. I don't know how he's going to do it. But God can do this miracle. Abraham believed in resurrection before resurrection was even a common thing. Are you able to believe God for the impossible? Or can you only believe God for what you can see? And then we get to what I call the confirmation. 
Because even at the very end, when Abraham was, was, was thinking about uh, uh, sacrificing his son, one last hurdle came up. And you have to be a parent to understand this one. You have to be a parent, or, or you must have loved something that could easily be taken away from you so much that it almost got taken away from him. Verse 7 and 8. But Isaac, here's the picture. They got to the mountain, leaving the servants behind, picked up the wood, picked up the fire, and then walking up, to, up the hill, up the mountain. And his son turns to him. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. <clears throat> then he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? It was almost like the enemy's last opportunity to say, God, Abraham, are you really going to sacrifice the thing you love? Let me give you one opportunity. Let me, let, let me use your son to speak to you. Where is, here's the fire, here's the wood, but where is the lamb? So that Abraham understood, that he, his son was asking him, who is going to be sacrificed? And if you're a parent, you know if you have a special one, your, 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 your guts are ripped apart because you know the answer. Verse 8, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb. You know what God provides me? The word for that is Jehovah Jireh. Son, I don't understand things. I don't understand it, but here's the thing. I, I can't even see how it's going to line up and how it's going to happen. But one thing I know is this. Anytime God calls me to do something, he will provide for me. But Abraham had to do something. He had to say, I lay everything down and I totally depend on what God is going to do. Can God be depended on? Yes. When you don't have a plan B and you say, God, the very thing I love the most, you can have it. If it means following you and the plan for my life for you, for me. Abraham turned around after God called him and told him, don't, don't hurt your son. Abraham turned around. Uh, can you imagine the joy in his life? Can you imagine the excitement? Because here's the, th here's the thing I learned out of that story. God does not want to take things from you. He just wants to make sure that the blessing he gives you doesn't consume you more than your love for God. Do you have things in your life that consume, more, consume you more than your love for God? Is your love of God as rich as it was when you first got saved? I asked myself that question, and I had to answer myself uh, uh, honestly, and my answer was no. Because over time and, and, and things, things get in the way, and things get in our eyes, and, and we have more to lose now. I had to come to a place in my life to be able to say, God, no, there, there are things I sometimes get more concerned about than you. Sometimes I'm more concerned about my wife and my children. And God had to whisper in my heart and say, would you lay them on the altar? And that's a hard thing. And you, those that have parents, know as your sons and your daughters get older, sometimes when they get to that place, when they're in that career, 21, 28, in that career, and they're not trying to find their way, and they don't know, they don't want to come to church anymore, they want to do this and do this and do that. And sometimes you have, instead of getting arguments, sometimes you need to pick up your baby and say, Father, I lay her on the altar. Look at verse 14. Of chapter 22. The worship team can start making their way back. Abraham called the name of that place. 
The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Guys, listen to me carefully. The only way you and I get to this place where we have complete dependence on him, we are going to have to allow God to test us. We're going to have to allow God to ask us a big thing of us that is usually bigger than ourselves. We're going to have to ask God, uh, and when he asks us that question, we have to be swift. Swift to respond to God. And then we have to be able to go through that agony period where we're trusting God and saying, Father, no matter what I see with my eyes, Lord, I still believe. Lord, she's coming in looking all kinds of ways and uh, coming in all types of day and night, all kinds of earrings and all kinds of this and all kinds of that. And in my natural eye, I can't see her serving God. But God, I'm going to take my eyes off her. I'm going to put my eyes back on God. And through that agonizing period, no matter how long it takes, No matter how long it takes, one of the things I realized in my life as we went through the civil war back home, our civil war lasted for 10 years. I didn't say one year. See, one year we can still believe. Okay, God's coming, God's coming. Two years, God's still coming. Three years, does God really care? Four years, I'm tempted to give up on God. Five years, I'm going to find another God. Six years, I'm going to try something different. Seven years, eight years. And sometimes we get to a place where we realize that all the other things we've tried in our lives, it has not worked. And God, who is faithful to us, remembers the covenant he makes with us. And one day in that dark place where you're stuck, you hear a whisper. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you alone. I think it was the Gospel of John. Let's go there, the last scripture for today. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. At the end of Matthew, when Jesus was leaving, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you. Is God there? Yes. He says, lo, I am with you. And then he says something in John chapter 14 that, 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 that can cement everything we're talking about here. John chapter 14. Look at verse 16 Jesus speaking John 14 16 and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever is God there yes look at verse 17 who's that helper the spirit of truth the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you God is God is there through every trial through every valley through everything because why he's not in this building God says from now on I will be there but I will be look at me look at me I will be here I will be in you so that every trial you go through God is every valley you go through God is every storm you go through God is 
I want you to stand to your feet. Don't put your coat on yet. We are wrapping it up, but we got one more thing to do. Stand to your feet, put your Bibles down. And I want you to look at me one minute. Look at me one minute. I want you to take both of your hands and I want you to lay them on your stomach. Your spirit man is in you. When you got born again, the spirit of God came and dwelt within your spirit. Spirit with spirit. And when the Bible says now your body is the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you. You and I have to be conscious that everywhere we go, God is with you. I want you to repeat after me with your hands on your stomach. Father, I thank you that God is within me. Your presence, your power, your anointing, their ability to live a victorious Christian life is in me. I want you to keep your hand there. And now we're going to sing that song again. I will bless the Lord at all times. I want you to keep your hand on your stomach because what I want to teach you this morning is this. I want you to be able to sense the presence of God on the inside of you. So that you will realize that everywhere you go, that power, that anointing, bears witness with you here that God is.